So I have the privilege this morning of receiving the tithes and the offerings. Yeah. And when I was... <laughs> Good. Thank you for the hand clap. It is. It is a, an important and exciting time of the service. Um, God reminded me when I was preparing for this that 20 years ago, 20 years ago this summer, I walked in to a small church community just like this, in a school just like this, and it was called Cornerstone Church of San Diego. Amen, right? Since then, my life has been completely changed. Not only did God turn my heart, he turned my life upside down, but in a good way, in a God way. And I know a lot of you can testify to the amazing things that God has done to you just here at the Coastal. But in praying, God, show me what you want me to teach your children. Show me what you want me to let them know that you've imparted into me. And he brought me to the verse, the very first verse that inspired me, encouraged me, and gave me a revelation of what it meant to give a tithe and to give an offering. And it's actually on your envelopes that you received this morning. Your envelopes, if you want to take it out and read along with me, I'm actually going to read it from a different version. It's the amplified version, so it has a little bit of extra words. It says it like this, let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. Amen. God loves a thoughtful and a purposeful giver is what the first part of that verse says. God wants you to think about what you're going to give, and he wants you to give it with purpose, not casually or just because this is the time of the service where you're supposed to do it. He wants you to think about it, just like when you're invited over to somebody else's house. In the spirit of generosity, it's nice to bring something to that host or hostess, right? You think about, what do I want to bring them as a thank you for inviting me to dinner, right? You bring a gift, flowers or a dessert, and you do it on purpose, you do it because you want them to know you appreciate them, you love them, and you're honored to be in their house. And with that same spirit, I want you to start thinking of that when you prepare your tithes and your offerings. Be thoughtful about it. God, what is it that I'm giving to? Who am I giving to? What am I giving for? What purpose and why? It's okay to ask God why. The next part of that verse says, God loves a cheerful giver. If you look up in the dictionary the word cheerful, it says, noticeably happy. What does it mean to be noticeably happy? It means other people can tell that you're not frustrated, that you're not upset, but that you have a smile on your face on the outside and on the inside. Another word for cheerful is optimistic. I like to look at optimism as faith-filled confidence because I'm faithfully confident knowing that God is my provider, God is my protector, God is the one who gave me the finances in the first place. He gave me my job. He gave, gives me the wisdom to use my money appropriately. And can I just testify to you, Minute Church, that when I realized and got the revelation of what it meant to give 10% of my income, that was a huge step for me. And I was only in my mid-20s when God showed me this verse and showed me what it meant. When I started giving 10%, I realized that God blessed me more and covered me more with my 90% that, I, that he let me keep in obedience than he ever could than with my 100% that I tried to hoard in my disobedience. So I hope today that you get inspired to give thoughtfully, purposefully, gener generously, and most importantly, cheerfully. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me so we can pray over your offering and your tithes this morning. 
If you have your envelope, just hold it close to your heart because inside that envelope represents your faith, right? It, it represents your intention and purpose and your honor to God. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to pray over your tithes and your offerings. Bless each and every giver as they give. Bless each and every family represented here who is giving and even the ones who are not giving. I cast down the spirit of fear or doubt or intimidation of what it would mean to give finances to you, God. I thank you that you continue to build the faith of this church. Build the finances of this church, Father God, so that it would feel like we were honoring you and not honoring our employer, that we were honoring you in faith, not worried about what's going to come next, Lord, because we know ultimately you will provide us and you will protect us in every area of our life. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, amen. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity just to hear your word, to express worship, to be in a room with like-minded people, with one mind and one accord. God, we ask today that you would just minister to your people, minister to hearts and minds. Do what only you can do. We trust you and we believe you today. Let the church say it. Come on, say hi to someone next to you and then get, grab your Bibles or your iPhones or your technical apparatus. <laughs> you can have a seat. So good to have each and every one of you uh, here today. If you're a first-time guest, we love having you here. Um, if you feel like people are looking at you because your first time is because, like, we've been praying for you, and, and, like, you're our manifested prayer coming today. We've been praying all week. God, let somebody new come. Let somebody hear your grace and your mercy, and you showed up, and everyone's, like, looking at There they are. There's our prayer. We've been praying for you and your family. And if you're uh, um, a, a consistent member that comes, we're excited to see you, too. We rejoice with you. We bless you. We know that everyone here is, in, in, is going through life, some enduring, some enjoying. So when we see you, like, yes, we made it another week with the glory of God. We still got smiles. We still got victory. We still got joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans <laughs> chapter 11. If you want this energy, first, you need the Holy Spirit. Second, you need better buzz because life is better buzz with coffee. Romans chapter 11. Today, we're going to speak on a subject that is near to my heart. It's not how can we make you great. It's not how great I can show you I am. But the title of the message today is The Greatness of God. The Greatness of God. Romans Chapter 11, 1 through 6, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite leaning on his race. Of the seed of Abraham with faith, but let me also mention of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, whom he foreknew or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? Let me tell you a story about this Old Testament prophet Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed a knee to Baal. 
Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant, a residue, a remaining according to the election or according and by of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Amen. God, thank you again for your word. Let the seed of your word, let your spirit uh, minister to their hearts. Say to them what you need to say to them in spite of my words, in spite of my English and bad grammar, Lord. Let your spirit minister to their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The greatness of God. We start with a question in the book of Romans, and the question is, has God rejected his people? And we not only move from a direct answer, but an explanation and an Old Testament story of this prophet named Elijah, who was really in fear for his life, running from Jezebel, who goes into this cave. And when he's in the cave, he says, I'm the only prophet left. Anybody else make absolute statements like that? Like my kids, you never take me anywhere. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> you never do any, you never say. You always, these big, broad statements, because when we are in the cave, everything becomes louder. And we begin to magnify small things in our life. And we're like, you know, two people talked about you in church Everybody is talking about me. No, that was two people. Go talk to them about them talking to you about you. That was not everybody. That was two people. Nobody likes me. That is what Elijah was feeling when he's running and he's hiding and he tells God, the creator of the universe, nobody gets it but me. There's no more people like me. Me and God, I kind of in my imagination see him chuckle a little bit and be like, no, there's 7,000 others just like you. Don't worry, I got this. Just because you're in a lonely place doesn't mean you're alone. Because your emotions are telling you you're alone, but though you feel lonely, you are never alone. And Paul is making this declaration in the New Testament that, no, you're not the only one, but there's a remnant by grace. There is a people that I've called that are sincere toward the work of Christ. There are a people that want to know about the finished work of God. There are a people that knows that Christianity is not about social justice. It is not about uh, political figures. It is about Jesus. It is not about a get-rich-quick scheme. It is not about you doing good. It is about Jesus and his greatness. It is about Jesus and his creation. This thing is not about the Christian without the Christ, but this thing is about the Christ who has made the Christian. And I'm glad that I'm a part of a remnant that sometimes when I hear culture and I hear the world and I hear the church talking, I'm like, what are you guys talking about? 
I'm the only one that knows about the grace of God. What is wrong with these people? Nobody gets it. Nobody gets the cross and the Holy Spirit. Nobody gets that this is all about Jesus, and it's not about our greatness. It's about his. What is wrong with all of them? And God's telling me, no, there is a collective. There is a remnant of grace, and I have a people that know me and know the the fellowship of my suffering and know the power of my resurrection. I have a people that know that it's all about me. It's all about about Jesus. As humans, we have these projects that we take on, these sub-hopes that we live out, and we take on these projects in life, and we call them self-salvation projects. And a self-salvation project is really this project that I take on for my life to help establish an identity apart from God's greatness and his grace. There are a few of these image-based identities that um, perhaps some of you might experience. For example, an image-based identity. An image-based identity says, I'm significant because I look good. And the most important thing is that you perceive that I'm good. And the most important thing is my reputation. There's also this thing called performance-based identity that says, I'm valuable because I work hard. I look what I produced. You know, a performance-based identity is like running on a treadmill and gaining weight. It's the performance treadmill. It's the only treadmill where the harder you run, the faster you run, the more weight you gain and the tireder you get. And when you put your hope and identity in performing for others in what you can do, it becomes an identity apart from God, approval-based identity. I'm important because people like me. A power-based identity. I'm important because I have control and influence. Any control freaks in the house? I know there's more of you, but it's okay. A help-based identity. I have meaning because people depend on me and they look to me and the church really needs me. And if I don't show up, what would they do without me? And this is my identity. This is my position. This is who I am. A political-based identity where your thoughts uh, uh, become dogmatic. A material-based identity. I'm worthwhile because of my status and my wealth. A family-based identity. I'm justified because my parents and my spouse and my children respect me and the way my children turn out are a reflection of me. All of these self-salvation projects in order to build an identity that says, I am my own God. Of course, you wouldn't say that. Of course, I'm not saying I'm my own God. But through my actions and through my behaviors, I'm saying, God, the identity that you have given me is not good enough. And Paul says, look it, it's not that based in your race, it's not based in your opinion, it's not based on any way you can work this thing, because when you try to work this thing, it ceases to be grace. Because this is based off my choosing you, not your choosing me. This is based off my love for you, not your love for me. And it shifts from how great can I get, and we shift our mind from let's climb the ladder to let's be crucified on the cross. Christianity is not 
primarily a symbol of a ladder of us working our way up. But it is God in Christ Jesus working his way down to humanity. Some of you might be aware, and it's not appropriate for me to bring up, but I'm an inappropriate preacher. Amen. <laughs> you guys are saying amen a little too much. but it's... This, this past week, I spit out, uh, out of spite and anger and rage, I chose to attack someone in writing online, and they chose to publish it for people to see. And the backlash I received from the people gave me a pulse and understanding of what Christians and people were actually thinking this is all about. And I realized that in seeing people, they were looking to me as a community role model. And one of my, great, one of my responses is, God did not send me to represent man. God sent Jesus to represent man. And maybe you've heard a sermon of mine, but perhaps you didn't hear the message. I'm not preaching how great I am. I'm preaching how great he is. The song doesn't say how great I am. It says how great thou art. I am God's human, not a human God. And I did not come to say, look at what I do. I came to say, look at what Jesus has done. I love the responses. What would Jesus do? And in order for me to, what would Jesus do means, uh, what would Jesus do means I should go do that to prevent mistakes. No, I know what Jesus has done when I make mistakes. I know what Jesus has provided for me. I know what Jesus has offered for me. This other great line that people try to be very encouraging in the church, nobody is perfect. And what they're implying is that most of the time you are perfect, but like 20% of the time you're not perfect. I'm like, you are totally wrong. I am always imperfect. And in every moment and breath in desperate need of Jesus. There are two types of people in this world. People that are desperate and know it and people that are desperate and don't know it yet. There are people that are screwed up and know it, and then there are people that are screwed up and don't know it yet. I'm not cussing in the church, sorry. <laughs> but the, the issue that I see is that God has sent me to represent man. I said, you need to come to our church because we preach about Jesus, we sing about Jesus, because we know that only Jesus represents man correctly. Only his grace only his sufficiency. It is not by works. Paul goes on in the end of Romans to explain the depth of his greatness. In verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him all to are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Jesus reminds me that I have a remnant of grace. And I've come 
to turn the world's thinking upside down. And that your greatest starting point is his finish point. We start at his finished work. And he forms in us all that he has accomplished. For it is by grace, not by works. Because if it is by works, then it is not grace. Jesus did not come to share with us the principles for living. Jesus came to share with us his life. He didn't come to teach us how to be other good rabbis, but naturally we are great sinners who are coming to this understanding of what a great savior we have. Of what a great and merciful redeemer that we have. If you look to your outline, five statements that reveal the greatness of God. Number one, this is our message to the community. This is my message to you today. What reveals God's greatness? That God, this is going to be super deep. God, lo God loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible, I want to learn the more deep theological understandings of Scripture. Teach me Hebrew and Greek. But apart and in all of your search for the mysteries of God, let me give you the greatest revelation that you can understand today. God loves me. God, not only does he love me, but God likes me. God likes crazy me. God likes unpredictable me. I'm his child. God loves me, Romans 8, 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. <laughs> you know what that means? Because the first question in your trial and in your temptation is, God must not love me because of what I'm going through. God loves you through what you're going through. When Jesus was taken from the wilderness and he was baptized, the Holy, the God said over him, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The first temptation of the enemy was to attack the last thing God said. He said, if thou be the son of God. He left out the fact that he was the beloved son, which means in every temptation, we are tempted to believe that we are not loved by God. So in trial, in persecution, in famine, money, no money, friends, frenemies, enemies, in all of that, God loves me. It is not my aim to be popular. It is not my aim to be known. It is not my mission to be loved because I understand that God loves me fully, freely, already. God loves me. When he says there is this remnant of grace, remnant is what remains after a catastrophe. 
remnant is actually a residue or the remaining. Hebrews 12 says, the words once more indicated the removing of what can be shaken that is created, th- that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Now, to some people, fire is a bad thing, but fire is what started electricity. Fire is what runs technology. Fire is actually God's love, and God consumes us with his love, and everything that can be shaken and that is against the love of God over your life will be destroyed. Anything that causes you to not believe that you are loved by God, his fire consumes it, and the residue and the remnant that remains are those who trust in the love of God over their life. That's good stuff. Amen. Like, I don't know what you said. He loves you. He loves you. <laughs> Number two, God, God sees me. God sees me. Jesus said, when you go pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. I know just from the experience of my children that there is something powerful about being seen. When my oldest son plays Fortnite, did you see me? When they jump off a diving board, did you see me? When, when I'm on my phone and my wife wants to talk, look at me, talk to me with your eyes. Do you even see me? There's something powerful when you know that what you are doing is actually seen by God. And God, not as a judge or a dictator over your life, waiting for you to make a mistake, but as a father that says, hey, get up and do it again. Oh, I messed up. I messed up on the backflip. I missed the goal. Get out there and do it again. I love you. I, I see you. I see you. I, I see your potential. I see the promises. I, I foreknew you. I see you. Oh, but I made a mistake. I still see you. Oh, but I went to prison. Oh, I see you. Oh, but I'm, I'm struggling with this. I see you. I see the real you, the intended you. That, 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 that's a mask. That's a fake. That's a coping mechanism for your hurt. That, that's what you're going through. That's what you're experiencing. But that's not you. You are who I say you are. And you are the beloved. I love you. I see you. I've got you. The perception of the world doesn't matter because he sees you. He knows you. He sees me. Number three, God is fighting for me. God is fighting for me. If God is for us, who can be against us? We love this verse because we want God to kick all of our enemies' butts. God, I won't slash their tires. You just make it pop, pop, in Jesus' name. The hardest thing to do, it's not that God is fighting for us as hard because it's like, God, you're not fighting the way we want you to fight for us. The Bible says it's better to give than it is to receive, but it's harder to receive than it is to give. Because when I give to you, you owe me something. I have emotional authority over you. You remember when I gave you? I control the element. 
But when you give to me, I'm vulnerable because now you control the element. Oh, I don't take anything from anyone. Because, you know, it's better to give than to receive, but it's easier to give than it is to receive. Because it takes the spirit to work into us humility, to drop the weapons and let God defend us. You can just call me Pastor Peter from now on. Because when they come, I got the sword. I'm like, boom, with your ear. What's up? Jesus is like, put the sword up. I'm going to put the ear back. This is my fight. I defend. You are my children. You don't protect me. I protect you. All these Christians are like, I'm going to go defend Jesus and hold up signs. Put your paper sword back because Jesus defends us. We don't defend him. Jesus, I'm going to stand for righteousness. No, don't stand for righteousness. Stand in righteousness. <laughs> God, they need to know the truth. So I'm going to go share. Well, don't leave Jesus to go tell people the truth. Stand in the truth of who he is. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. Jesus fights for me. Number four, God has a future for me. First Peter 1, 3 through 4, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future doesn't start when I die. The future starts now. The power of Christianity is that you believe in the resurrection. It all hinges on the resurrection because when you believe in the resurrection, you believe unto Jesus that he has overcome every death. And that when you believe on his life, you receive eternal life. Because whatever you believe in gets into you. And if you believe that Jesus didn't resurrect, you believe in death. And whatever you believe gets into you. So death enters into you. So when we believe in life, we believe in Jesus. Every dead situation that we walk through, every dead work of the mind is, is, is cast out because the eternal life of Christ comes into us and makes us immortal. Which means we have overcome death. And that God has a future. One day in the by and by, I'm going to go to heaven. No, your future doesn't start when you get to heaven. Your future starts when you begin to believe in the eternal life. And the eternal life starts now. And the quality of life that God has for you starts now. Number five, and in closing. This is a simple one, yet big one. God forgives you. Let the church say, God forgives me. If you think about, I don't know, your theological persuasion or your interpretation of Titus and Timothy when they give the qualifications of a minister and how they should be and what they should do and how their kids should respect them and personal integrity and personal holiness is a great gift and character is something we preach and absolutely believe. But I think the most dangerous thing is to read a set of scripture and to make a checklist and to 
make yourself think that you are actually qualified because you met the checklist. If I do all these things, then I made the checklist. Because I think about Psalms 51 when, when David, he murdered somebody. He took somebody's wife. If the Me Too movement was out, he would have been slaughtered. He would have been, he would have been murdered. They would have said the craziest things, and rightfully so. He killed somebody, and he was a man after, how could you be a man after God's own heart? A broken and a contrite heart the Lord can't refuse. The danger is thinking if you pull off this scripture that you've now qualified yourself. You are not qualified apart from Jesus. Jesus is what qualifies us. Jesus and our trust and dependence on Jesus is what actually qualifies us. John 8, Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, the woman who had been caught in adultery and the Pharisees stood around her and they picked up their stones and, and, and the Bible says that Jesus, he went and he, he got down and he began to write in the dirt. I like how one preacher said, he said that God's willing to get into your dirty places. God's not scared of your dirt. God made you from dirt. God brings creation and life. When his spirit meets your dirt, life comes together. He's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of your junk. He's not afraid of your humanity. You know he made humanity, right? You understand that that God is not scared of your issues. He understands. He took on your issues. He took on our sins. He says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know what the problem we make is because we let accusations set in our heart and set in our, our mind. And then we try and go, go and sin no more. But you can't go and sin no more if you're not free within. And the reason he says their accusation, their stone doesn't have the power over your life. I don't accuse you. And until you understand you're not accused by God. You'll never be free and empowered to go and sin no more. God, I've done this and I've done that. I, I'm worthy of a good stoning. I, I'm worthy to be beaten up. Are you more sin conscious or God conscious? Do you wake up and think about what you're doing wrong or do you wake up thinking about what he's doing right? Do you, do you constantly go through your mind and I don't want to be a hypocrite at church. <laughs> I don't want to be lukewarm because if I'm lukewarm, I got to be in or out. <laughs> you know what? If you want to be on fire and zealous for Jesus, you got to trust in Jesus. You got to have the passion for Jesus that's produced not by the flesh, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
if you could imagine today as we stand this circle and we all one by one bring you up to the stage and we all have stones to throw, uh, the, the, the modern day language is we all have a bone to pick with you. That's another way of saying we all have a stone to throw at you. <laughs> and, and, we put, and we put you up, and as you're put up on the stage, every guilt, everything you've done wrong, every thought will play the, the, the thought TV show of Mike Cardwell right here, future of Mike Cardwell's thoughts. And right before we throw the stone, Jesus is like, hey, I got your movie next. We all put our stones down. And Jesus ministers and says, listen, quit accusing one another. I don't accuse you. Be empowered by my grace. Go and sin no more. Or go and live a life, my quality of life, in a system of grace that can produce for you an eternal life. Go and sin no more is not go and cuss no more. It's go and continually trust in the power of the Holy Spirit in you to accomplish what you can't accomplish on your own. Go and sin no more is not closing your eyes as you drive by an inappropriate uh, sign, billboard sign. Go and sin no more is the Holy Spirit in you and when you saw the wrong sign, you and the Holy Spirit are still madly in love with each other. And he's like, next time, let's take the, the other street. When you go on the other street and there's a bad sign there too, be like, Jesus, bless these bad sign people in the name of Jesus. If, if at church, it could be communicated that we're here to change your behavior. And we want to modify how you act. So you can look like a Christian. <laughs> so you can look presentable and represent the church. Our job is not to change your behavior, but to get you to know how loved you are by Jesus. And for you to receive his spirit and be transformed from the inside out. It is a work of your father. I really want to change and this is what I'm going to do. Why don't you throw away that little list of what you're going to do to make yourself right and say, Jesus, I need you. I need my, give us our daily bread. Give us our dose of Jesus to understand, to nourish our souls, to lead us, to guide us, to help us, to, to transform us into your likeness, into your image. Give us your life. It's not no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. God, in the name of Jesus, we pray over each and every individual I want every individual here to see the greatness of who Jesus is. In every situation, in every circumstance, the greatness of who Jesus is. With every eye closed, if today you're like, hey, can you say a prayer over me just from right where, where I am? You know, I want to be able to, to, to experience what you're talking about. I want to see his greatness. I want to know who he is. I, I, I want to commit to walking out a journey where I can know this father that you're talking about, this heavenly father that actually wants to be personally involved in my life. If, if that's you, would you just throw your hand, throw your hand in the air? God bless you. 
God bless you. God bless you. Would you, all of you, repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, come into my heart. Rule and reign. Teach me your ways. Empower me to walk. Empower me to speak. Empower me to know your will and to do your will. Forgive me of my sins. And from this day forward, never leave me. Never forsake me. I am forever yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise for his greatness in your life. Let's sing today.